0: Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip On Lighting Podcast. On today's show, we have Heinrich Clausen. He wrote an article that Greg and I were interested in, so we came on the show, and what an honor to speak to him, Greg.
1: That's right. Personalized lighting and the ability to control and all that goes along with it. Oh, a lot got, of good ideas. from too, Let's though, on this
0: one. We got all oh, spiritual yeah. and well, deep so I you know I've actually gotten a few emails from people that like that side of it that look forward to when they what did she say that one, uh, that one um, girl say the spirituality switch is going to get flicked
1: here we go there we go <laughs> <laughs> that's right then I bring it back to how you can actually sell it so yeah, we did that on this bad. one
0: <laughs> maybe we did maybe we didn't who knows but I really enjoyed yeah. speaking to Heinrich and what a great a good gentleman and just another example of all the great people in lighting Greg
1: that's right a great discussion man <sighs>
0: But before you get to listen to it, got to go to the original, the original. Who's the original? Energyfocus.com, baby. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com, Greg. Energyfocus.com.
1: And we're talking today about their new in-focus platform. And what uh, there's no better idea of this than our discussion today to personalize your lighting. So right now when you do that, a lot of times if you want to personalize your lighting, that means to dim it. And potentially to change the color. And really the only way to do both is to change the fixture. Until now. Energy focus has the end focus where they're actually built into an LED tube. So now you keep the fixture. The LED tube itself is can be dimmable and or color changeable. Ten different dimming steps, ten different colors in between, and it's all from a switch, line voltage on the wall. You don't need to run zero to ten, you don't need to get wild. You got an existing fluorescent fixture, you got a switch on the wall. You can make it color tunable and dimming just like that. And the price is right. I looked at it. I'm offering it. I'm selling it. You guys should too.
0: Take a victory lap, James, too, because this one is a good one. That's a good product. It's the original company, the, the Original Energy Focus. Go to E N E R G Y F O C U S dot com, baby. Get excited because they're members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, of course and where that's where all the great great companies that want to sell great products belong they belong in nailed and if you're listening to this you've got to join you've got to get associated come on down and hang out that's right we're going to be back there's going to be conventions again but already as soon as it as soon as they say we're going to be go so go to naild.org to check it out but for right now heinrich clausen on get a grip on lighting welcome to the get a grip on lighting podcast heinrich clausen thank you much thank you very much for having me Say hello to Greg Eric.
1: Hello, Greg. Good to see you, too. Uh, you as well. Thanks for coming on all the way from Denmark. Is that where you're at?
2: I'm actually in
1: Sweden, but I'm Danish and I'm born in Denmark,
2: but I moved to Sweden six years ago working here at the Fagerholt office.
1: Okay. So you have 30 years of lighting experience. Can you give us a quick rundown on what you've done in 30 years? I know that is hard to sum up, but as best you can.
2: No, it's, it's, it's not that hard. I left university in Denmark like 32 years ago, got my first job, stayed there for 12 years. And after that, I switched to Fagerhull, where I am now. I've been there for 23 years, so it's pretty quick. During that time, I've been working as an educator at the university and giving a lot of lectures around the world. So it's always been lighting and it's my passion is in discomfort, glare and in in lighting design and for the last four years i've been a professor at the albor university in copenhagen alongside to my job so well it's lighting all the time
1: sure and as a professor what courses are you teaching
2: i'm taking the electrical engineering approach as i'm an electrical engineer in, in base i do evaluation of products and legislation and all the boring stuff with standards and then we have architects in lighting. We have a daylight, a daylight specialist there, and we have a controls and a visualization guy as well. So we are seven teachers and this year, 54 students from 24 countries.
1: So it's pretty wow. cool. Yeah, and, and you founded, uh, is it the Fagerhall Lighting Academy? Is that right? Yes, I did that in
2: okay. 2004. I was uh, the MD of sales for Fagerholt in Denmark for seven years. And, you know, that's sort of a dark period in my life where I had to yell at salespeople and looking at spreadsheets <laughs> all the time. So now I'm back to looking at lighting and design and uh, creating a better environment for people, hopefully. So but it was cool. I have uh, both the R&D, the academic and the sales. So so when I knit together or close the bag, it's it's pretty all around the place.
1: Okay. And are you guys selling figure health Fager- throughout Europe or throughout Sweden and Denmark? Or where, where are you guys selling mostly?
2: No, we are, we are strong in Europe. We are number three in Europe. There are some say signify and then us. So we are the three big in Europe. And um, we are not we're not based in the US. But some of our group members are like likely linear and uh, VF and other companies. We are 14 companies in the group. So it's a it's a global group with lighting innovations in south africa eagle lighting in australia R light in turkey so it's um it's um it's growing and becoming a strong group we think but mainly based in europe
1: yeah so that's one thing that i've always found interesting we had somebody on recently that i brought this up too but we uh why is lighting different in europe why aren't you guys in the united states i know signify is but why isn't your company
2: we are not there because the route to market is, is difficult for us. We are over here, we are working with lighting designers, architects and specifiers, but um, it seems to be a pretty wholesale driven and, and agent driven market in the US where many agents has like 40 or 50 different companies that they represent. And We would like to be on our own and we've tried twice in the US, but it just doesn't work. If you're not connected with the lighting designers or the lighting specifiers in the US, you don't have a chance to get you in can't,
0: there. You so, can't
2: work outside the
0: channel. You can't work outside the channel no. in
2: the United States. No. No. Believe me, we tried twice and it's it's not worth it. I worked for Louis Paulson for 12 years. We are established in the state or we were, they are established in the states and we have a factory in Miami and we had at that time I was responsible for the quality insurance of the factory in in Miami, but again, it's it's pre- primarily on the on the East Coast, and it's like up to New York, Boston, down to Manhattan, down to uh, Miami. But on the West Coast, it's difficult just to spread across the U.S. It's a huge market.
0: Geographically, too, it's big. It's just like Can. I'm from Canada, and it's it's very fragmented because of simply because of the geography. I mean, Vancouver is so far away from Toronto. It's 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 a continent right um, I liked your recent article um, in LED professional magazine Heinrich um, yeah I
2: got that much
0: yeah and um, I'm gonna I have two primary questions uh, but in the first half of your article you used the word by the way you write very well in English like that's beautiful I mean I Thank couldn't imagine I think that would be tough to write for me in English and then in another language. Come on. That's a really, really well-written article. But you use the word dream, need, and must. And you imply that... probably right. Yeah. You're implying with those words in the beginning of your article that there is this new... We are on the threshold of a new world through your dream. And that somehow... We need to. We are obliged, or we are compelled, to change these spaces in order to support productivity, comfort, and well-being. So here is my my question: is kind of twofold, Heinrich. The first part of my question is: Are you implying that the current systems are not doing this, or that they are maybe creating a negative outcome? And two,
2: why must we do this? That's a good question. I need the, the pause that you offered me to take. So uh, it's, um, I'm a dreamer. I'm definitely a dreamer, I'm a visionary. I always imagine a better world, a huge Star Trek fan ever since I was born. Like there's something to strive for, for a better world. And when we are looking at the, um, if I may address, question number two first. We are looking at a global aging population. It seems that within two or three generations, we'll be massively older. I lost my father when he was 72, my mother when she was 78. Statistically, I'll be 95. My daughter is today 29. She will statistically be 110. And if she gets kids, they'll be 115. Nobody can leave the uh, the work market at 60, because we need to work till we are getting older, at least till we are, let's say, 75, if we are turning 90 or 100 years old. But in 30 years, the average age or the age when people will sign off may be 110. So it's hard to imagine people start working at 20 and stop at 60. And the standards that were created in the 40s I assumed for workspaces, it's like work lighting. And it's defined, you start working when you're 20, you stop working when you're 60. That just doesn't fit anymore. My daughter leaves university when she's 30, and she'll probably stop working when she's 75. And with the rapid aging of our vision, we simply cannot do work lighting for people and assume we stop at 60. It's an exponential curve, Retina decreases, sensitivity decreases, we get cataract, all that stuff happens when we are approaching 70, 80 years. So when you just look at the visual demand, how much light we need in order to fulfill a visual task, to see the environment, to see our peers, then we need a lot of light. And with a global massive move towards towards an aging population, we will just need it. And that's my challenge. And I think we, that's why we, that's why I think we need it, because that's the demographic and that won't probably change. Now we have Corona and that sort of adjusts a little bit on everything. But But in general, that's the point I'm getting at, that there are some facts that when we are building houses now, when we are installing lighting systems, we probably build a house that we hope will stand there for 30 years, maybe 50 years, but the people who is going to use that office space or that off that uh, shopping mall or whatever, in 30 years, they will have a different demographic they will be much, much older. So my challenge to people is, do you want to install the infrastructure for control systems? Do you want to put in higher output fixtures that you can regulate in 10 years? Or do you just want to tear everything down again in 10 to 15 years and then put in new fixtures with higher light output? Or do we need to rethink, start to use much more daylight and compensate the uh, lack of daylight with electric light when the daylight fades away, so we do much more daylight harvesting? That's actually what I'm getting at in, these, um, in, these, in that article,
0: really. So that, that leads me to my next, my next question for you, which is surrounds hmm? controls and uh, healthy lighting. So, and then yes. you're very, you, you say um, that one of the keys to the dream um, is the personalization of light and allowing people to to be able to change the way their lighting system um, kind of uh, operates for them personally. But to yes. me, I think that most people, uh, to me, that just seems like another hassle. To me, that seems like a another thing that I got to do now, another alert on my phone, you know? And so I, I think the idea of controls and, and, you know, IOT is really about a system and programming the light level that most people should have and, or what have you. And that if anybody has the small percentage of people that actually care about their lights, maybe have the ability to control control, But I think if we're going to accomplish environments where life is supported or that light supports better health, we need to automate that for everybody. I don't think giving them control over it is what's going to do that.
2: I can. I actually really like your point. It's very valid and it's... uh minority. And now you, you and I probably don't understand that. Not everybody in the world are excited about lighting and is thrilled whenever. Mm. about it. Most people really don't care. And, and it's, um, and maybe they shouldn't, but what I want to try to do is most on the biological side that, that we would like to, or I have this vision, or at least I, my dream is that we can build a system that follows you like a smartwatch and actually watch your phone or whatever. So, if I have been out walking 20 minutes during my lunch break and it was kind of if I let it, oh, if I go back into the office, I may dim my light a little bit because I already has been exposed to the amount of daylight that I need to get a good night's sleep tomorrow or tonight. So I think that if we monitor our light history over years, weeks, days, we may find out that that's that dynamic balance that is controlled by light, our body clock that's controlled by light, will will get the, the right amount of light, like a boost in the morning, a boost after lunch, and then we will have an, an efficient day, especially when you get older. We're, we're working with a lot with dementia patients, mm. and that's where, where it comes from. And these have these disturbed pattern where they walk up during the... They, they run around to sleep during the day, Walk during the night. And we, we want to help people get back into the rhythm that we are programmed for so we can have that good night's sleep. So it's it's actually more about the biological aspects and a way of being able to provide that light once we know the spectral distribution, which we don't today. We don't know what is good light for people who is going to adjust to a biological rhythm. But we will hopefully be able to have a, um, I think your idea is really good, have a really good installation that is automatically controlled so people don't have to worry. But if you Mm want to override it, then you actually don't do it by pushing buttons, but you do it by allowing an app to monitor your whereabouts. You can have this little variable thing that measures how much light you've had. And then once you come back into the space, it can illuminate your desk or your workspace or your home to a level that is predetermined to you. But I must admit, your point is very valid. Probably not many people who will run around doing that.
1: Yes. Um. I think I've said said it before, and I think the only way to truly ever accomplish this is to have a floating light go with you everywhere. Because (laughs) if you think about, (laughs) you know, an office environment, you're in a cubicle and you have one light fixture that's half over you, half over the person next to you. And, you know, so it's really going to take, I like the idea for sure. And I think there's, there's some, there will be some real benefit, but I think logistically and putting it all together is going to be the real difficult part about this. Yes. Is there any way we can overcome that? I think there is a big, not
2: a big, but there is a slight difference in the way we light in Europe and we do in, uh, in the U S because I've never shared a fixture with anybody. I have my own actually. And if that's mm-hmm. tunable white, and it's with a reflector system, it's, it's addressable, it's actually it's pretty good. You probably also know that over here we have the right to daylight. So every office has a window and we have to be seated next to the window. Actually, in Danish and Swedish legislation, I have to be able to see the blue sky by looking out. So I can't even have an opposite building. So wherever I'm sitting working as a right now, if I turn my head and look out there, I can see a glimpse of the blue sky and I actually get daylight in and I have my own fixture up here. So here it would work.
1: That's a law, you have to be able to see that there. Yes,
2: that's um, a, yes, that's where uh, building registration law and that is difficult in the big cities, but if you go to the window and you squeeze up, you can actually see up, so that's a law. You're not allowed to work in only electric light. That's the IKEA law. Yeah, it could very well be that. Yeah. I actually think it's slightly older, but but never mind <laughs> that. But um, so so but but what we are saying is that we've talked a lot about that with light following people. You've probably seen these ones where we are having now outdoor lighting with drones. So when you park your car, <laughs> the drone comes over your car and made the street lighting, and it just follows you all the way, so you don't need any poles. You can just have ten. Drones with an array of LEDs and they light up a huge parking space. So wherever you park your car, you will have light enough. But that doesn't really give us the feeling of security and safety. That creeps everybody you out. You don't. Sorry.
0: That'll creep everybody out. Actually.
2: Yeah, it definitely <laughs> will. But it's but it's the light that follows, as, as you just mm. said earlier. It's the light that Ooh. follows people, and and we've done that forever. Like ever since we got that torch, we were running around with. So <laughs> when we see light we associate it with a person is moving. Mm -hmm. We don't see it as a threat of an animal, but somebody else, one of our peers is moving somewhere when the light is following him. So all these intelligent systems that switches off the light when I'm going here, switches on out there. That's actually back to light that follows you. It's a very, very interesting point, but Mm. forget the drone stuff that's creeps.
0: We're, we are, we're, we're creatures of the light in a way. That's what we are, you know? And so I have, a, I have a question for you, and I've asked yep. a lot of scientists this question, okay? And nobody can really give me an answer about it. And I think um, human beings have part of their evolution is directly connected to fire. Like I'm not talking about we like to cook with fire or that fire warms us. I'm talking about that humans lived close to f- controlled fire for so many millions of years, probably a mil- whenever they got fire a million years ago or two, but long enough that the process of evolution could have taken place. And so do humans have a, 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 a primordial or ancient as you use in your in your piece, ancient or primordial? attachment to that warm high ir low kelvin temperature light of fire
2: i'm i'm absolutely sure but i cannot give you a published paper or address Mm. where you can download it because i'm having the same challenge as you are having i'm absolutely sure about it because when you are sitting with a friend and Mm. a stick around a campfire somewhere Mm. It's actually one of the few times where you don't look at your phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you're sitting there with a good friend, a beer and a stick, you can have an entire evening and you feel great. Mm-hmm. Because I think fire gave us safety so we can rest. There are no wild animals attacking us when we are sitting around mm-hmm. it. We know it created room for us to stay awake. It it helped us evolve our language. It's, um, it's the way when we look at each other, when we have one, the candlelight. One more point
0: most of us would have been conceived beside a fire
2: that's right probably <laughs> few in the darkness probably but yes let's yeah. say most of all around the fire you're right about it. i haven't thought about that though but but it's um it's something that we reproduce um when i'm teaching my students at the university i always recommend them to propose in the sunrise or in the sunset because mm-hmm. when you have the warm colors of the sun, low angles hitting your face, you look nice, you look kind, your skin tone is right, your diamond ring is sparkling, the roses are red, Mm. all the warm light that colors. As soon as you get the sun up there, you're not that attractive shadows under your chin and your nose and eyebrows. But when you have that side light, especially in a candlelight dinner, and I think that's when you are normally proposing. And that's Mm. close to the to the fire, because when we are in that, Campfire, daylight—sorry, uh, campfire, candlelight, kerosene lamps—it's it's just beautiful.
0: Well, think about it. There's another way to think about it. So the sun rises, right, and it's got this warm Kelvin temperature. It goes higher and higher, and as it sets, we begin to light a fire, which is a slightly lower Kelvin temperature than it. Yes. So we're still right. setting with the sun in a way, and we're. Yes. And the other thing I think there's something to the infrared. I think that the feeling of the heat, which is the light waves as well the light and the heat are together hitting you there's something to that as well for sure
2: there's definitely and you know you're on you're on dangerous ground with that because when we talk about leds don't having any red spectrum it doesn't Mm. penetrate our skin and all that stuff i'm not good at that but a lot of people are talking about that we associate light to warmth which is not the issue anymore now it's cold and it's just lighting the surface it's not Mm. lighting our Mm inner core our body like when you are lying out there taking a sun bath your entire body is being lit up inside as well and radiated with infrared beams so i think it's
0: um here's another anecdote okay this is just a total anecdote okay so my yesterday it was really really no sunday was uh, sunday was really nice in toronto so and i have um a farm which has six acres of grass that needs to be mowed my son had like this infection on his, on the front of, and back of his legs. And we've been treating it with cream for mm. two or three months. Nothing's happening. Okay. Then he goes and he wears shorts and he mows the lawn for four hours and he gets a really bad sunburn on his legs. Cause I told him to put sunscreen on, but he didn't listen. Okay. So that night I go up to his room. I'm like, okay, let's put your cream on your legs to see cause it's sunburn, but put up that little, that antifungal cream on your legs. And I look at the front of his legs and all the fungus is gone off the front. It's amazing. But not on the back where his legs weren't in the sun. So literally one day, we were at it for, for two or three months, one day of having his skin in light, in natural sunlight. Yes, he got a sunburn. He didn't – he could have put on some sunscreen or whatever. But one day of having his skin in natural light took away the the infection on the front of his legs. That blew me away, actually. And that's like the sun – the the sun's rays, the heat, the light from the sun is giving us something. We're we're, we're doing some kind of human photosynthesis with our hormones as the light enters our eyes and this sort of stuff. There's something – so important about natural light and then moonlight as well Mm. that is deeply primordial and ancient and we we need to discover what that is
2: there might be a reason that ra was the sun god and the Mm -hmm. boss of the other gods in egypt Mm -hmm. and when we go through history we see these light therapy when you build something above 2000 meters in the mountain monasteries healing centers it's just like when you said water water and light would do the most for us humans, but we are away from clean water and decent daylight.
0: There's something about lake water. I'll tell you this. there, There is, man. Like, I don't like swimming in the ocean.
1: <laughs>
0: no, but I mean, no, but there's something about it that is, that, that is, this is why Canadians, and I'm sure Nordic people, they go live in the forest in the summer, and they swim in the water. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Why do we do this? This is ever, all northern peoples do this. They go to some place in nature, swim in the water, and they probably have a sauna, and so they're receiving all this natural light in the summer. It's almost like a, it's almost like a human farm growth of our good hormones, and then we harvest them in the winter or something. I'm not kidding you. It's really strange.
2: No, no. I, I buy it because I live up here. Today the sun rose at four, at 4:20, and it will set at 21. 20 and in the winter, it oh. goes down at three in the afternoon mm. and gets up nine in the morning. So we are yearning for daylight. We're we waiting for it, just barely surviving. And, you know, suicide rates up here in the northern parts are hopeless because we are out of balance Because we are calibrated for evolution in Central Africa, where we have 12 hours daylight, 12 hours darkness every day, all year round for millions of years. And when we are moving, the further up we move north, the more we are twisted in that and we need somehow to get back to nature My so it has I to be by... so
0: i have to ask this question then heinrich sorry i am sorry to interrupt you but yeah, I have you're to ask this. welcome that has to be why you have white skin and blue eyes that has to be the reason why i mean the, i read an article in the economist a couple of weeks ago that scientists are arguing about that That no, no, northern hemispheres are not, that's not why your skin is white. It's some other reason. It has to be something to do with light absorption. It has to have something to do with it.
2: You you probably know that when we if we if we have talked ten years ago and people said, are there any different in light in perception in eyes that are blue or brown? We said, no, they're the same, it's just the color. It's not more than like four or five years ago that we found out that blue eyes lit two percent more light in than brown eyes and that makes a lot of sense because when you were in central africa where there was vast amount of light you don't need it but when you're up here evolution tells you we need to harvest every photon that comes our way to feel good
0: i totally agree but it's and that 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 explains right away why people like i'm from toronto you're you're um in you know in the nordic countries i I think you said you're in sweden right now
2: yes Um, i'm in sweden
0: yeah i mean when people come from A southern country and they move to toronto or they move even to stockholm that is a massive massive difference for them yes like it doesn't go both ways it's probably better for us to go down there but for them to come here is devastating in a way
2: it's very very hard yeah absolutely and it's it's funny because I always get these uh, these questions when we do research and we quote some scientists and people say, yeah, but that research was done in Seattle in the States or it was done in, in Milan. Can we compare? It? Probably not. We can only say it worked there, mm. but but honestly, what we do of research in the, in the Nordic countries, it will probably work in the Nordic country because that's where the research is done. But we cannot superimpose it to Rome. Mm -hmm. And say, if you do like that in Rome, you'll be happy or you'll you'll be energized because it's so difficult. And one thing that I've been fascinated with for many years is that we seem to take our light culture with us. When we get people from Syria or Egypt up here living, they bring cool fluorescent lamps, no shielding. They put them in the ceiling. Every suite has a pendant, warm color temperature suspended Mm -hmm. over it over there. So when you drive around Stockholm or Gothenburg, you look out, you can see, oh, there's a there's a foreigner coming in living here. That's a local. You can just see it by the light coming out of the buildings. I bet you have the same in your in your country. And when you should move- One of my electricians, you would probably...
0: one of my electricians put a four lamp T5 high output fixture in his living room.
2: <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He, is he
0: is he a uh, Canadian? No, he's from he's from he's from uh, he's from Pakistan. But that sounds uh, more that yeah. sounds more like it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I he said to me he goes I, I we are doing this factory he's like, "Oh, can I have one of those?" And I'm like, "What do you want it for?" He's like, "I want it for my home."
2: Yeah. But it's it's not the funny thing. It's not that it's right or wrong. It's no, I'm different. not saying anything. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. And it's because I had a friend who worked for Ericsson phone company building set telephone central's in um in New Delhi, and he brought his pendant. He even had to have a vario transformator with him down there so that he could adjust the, the line voltage to mm-hmm. run that pendant because he couldn't imagine having dinner with his family over the dinner table without a suspended pendant. Mm-hmm. And everywhere else in Delhi, you have a fluorescent tube, 5,000 Kelvin in the ceiling in a basic fixture. So oh. it's, it's really something about you take your light with you. It's like, and. I have to share now I have to tell you a story. Many okay. many years ago I was in Miami and I was giving a lecture on the Scandinavian painters and the the golden age painters in Scandinavian they moved from Copenhagen to Jutland it's a small area 300 kilometers because the light was different. And I gave a lecture on these I have a few paintings with me and I talked about that and I was giving that presentation in Miami and a very good customer was invited to come to Scandinavian and uh, he came over two years later, and when we were having our dinner in Copenhagen, he came up to me and said, all the stuff you talked about, Danish light and warm color temperatures and all that, I didn't believe a word of it when you were in Miami, because I know how light is. I've seen it every day in my life, and now I'm experiencing it. You need—you—you you, you Simply, even though you know you work with lighting, it's so hard to imagine light difficult even, a different sorry even if you try to say okay I can imagine the sunrise is fast it lowers fast but but you can't really feel it no and once you are there it's not like it's not like home mm. so I, I believe we are very very attached to where we are born where our ancestors were maybe our parents grandparents it's somehow very close and when we suddenly go to to uh, Central Africa or Abu Dhabi or Dubai or something, and the sun just (laughs) sets like that. It's pitch black Just What happened here? You know, Mm -hmm. and and even though you are intelligent people, we know it will happen. We are still being surprised. It's so deeply rooted in us. Mm -hmm. But that was my story.
1: Not as good as the one with yours. No, that's (laughs) a good. No, 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 totally. Totally. No. Reggie. No, No. Yeah, you guys. Uh, so you wrote in your article that uh, we know light affects human biology, human health, everything, but more detailed studies are required to help us understand their performance. You might have answered it yes. in that it's going to depend on the area, but why aren't more studies being done? Is it just truly the cost? And if it is, don't people understand the importance that this can have on everyone, and why not invest in it? It's um,
2: it's actually it's not to not to be rude, but it's actually one of the best questions today because we are always asking for more money. And I'm sitting at the <laughs> university and say, could we get some more money? And I'm also yeah. sitting at the company and say, you don't get any more. So Tridonic, Sumtobo, igucini and Fagahol went together because it's starting to become extremely expensive to do research. So the funding is a big issue. And when you're funding research, you would like to have some proof that fits your next move to market or your new products or whatever. But in this case, we were doing a study called double dynamic lighting, where we talked about how can we do, how can we use um, tunable white and intelligent I/O S system that are combining the inflow of daylight, so that we actually can start doing that. And there are so many aspects to try to answer your questions that that just are not being funded because either the universities. They, you know, they get their money when they are being quoted. So if I quote the paper that you wrote on mm-hmm. the Toronto University, then you get some money. And if you write a paper that's not interesting a lot, you get less money. You don't get it from me. So it's it's also going out there selling the idea to the to universities that you should do some research on that and say, yeah, why should we do that? You know, who cares? Mm-hmm. I care. Well, that's one. Well, where's the rest? Now there's two there. So we are three now, but, but it's, it's very, very difficult to get the funding. And, um, You got to pitch it in a different way.
1: You got to pitch it to
0: them in a different way. So I was talking to another guy on my podcast yesterday and he said, one of the problems with modern education is that it's boring. Um, it's boring. And he said they should have a course in every high school called, Is There Life in Outer Space? That should be a course. because, And then the mm-hmm. scientific reasons, maybe yes, no, or whatever, about why yeah. there's life in outer space. Another course should be called, like in grade nine, The Earth is round and revolves around the sun. Right? Like that should be a course. So people don't yeah, end we up could becoming
2: Skip the flat earth.
0: Yeah. like We could just yeah. get rid of stuff by telling people these people. Anyway, here here's how you got to pitch it to these people with money. You got to say, okay, we need to know how light works, how it affects the human species. We need to know how um, our bodies produce vitamin D in our eyes more than our, our skin. And and why, uh, you know, all these answers? Why infrared makes us feel amorous and makes us feel friendly mm. and cl- and and warm and want to be close to one another? We need to know the answer to all these questions because that will be the scientific proof for the existence of God. If okay. we can answer the last those twist questions, have
2: not seen coming. That, <laughs> I must <laughs> admit, <laughs> I didn't.
0: Like, I didn't see is, the last
2: twist coming stuff. So.
0: Yeah, the yeah, like, that's what it is. I mean, if you can answer those questions and know why the Earth, like why the sunlight creates life on Earth, mm. like that's what you're asking. How how do we create life from light using water?
2: Mm. Yeah, that's that, actually
0: what we're getting at. I'm I'm with you on that one. That's the dream, and if you if you can dream that dream. You Like, if that can become a reality, that's the proof for God. So if anyone wants to know if God exists or not, this is his equation. Light plus water equals life under these conditions. That's God. And creates consciousness. Creates consciousness.
2: It's it's a a bit, uh, yeah, it's a bit far for me on the... A, that, no, on, seriously. On like
0: that's what it is. But, like if somebody says, what is consciousness? It's light plus water a certain distance from the sun equals consciousness. And we can now think about that. Like that's all light. Pretty cool. So that's how you get your funding. Tell that's them that you're going cool. to prove <laughs> Go to the churches. Go ask the churches for the money. Okay.
2: yeah, They've they got the money. That's for sure. But, uh, now but it's, uh, now it's, Oh, you know I'm, we are we are very um, we are very humble because we try to we try to tell people that uh, we need to find out the spectral distribution and if we want to replicate daylight, it has a big cost. And you know when we had color rendering eighty from fluorescent mm-hmm. tubes, blah blah blah. Then we had a line spectrum and all that. And of course we can replicate daylight if we want to do it with LEDs, but at a very very high cost. The LEDs are expensive. The energy consumption is high. So, so um, I think what we are trying to find out now is what kind of wavelength are we actually using to address different receptors to influence these things. So, with a little luck, in five years, we may have a light source that actually does some of the things, if not all, at a reasonable energy consumption. But what I keep telling people and what I tell our customers in Scandinavia, what I tell my students is nothing beats daylight. It's so important that electric light people like myself remembers that's that's the master out there. We can just fill in humbly when it fades away. That's what we do. We can prolong the, the day a little bit, but we cannot replicate it. And I get so sad when people are telling us, we have a daylight light source, we can replicate it. You won't notice it. Oh yeah, sure you will, <laughs> on many levels.
0: So there, there's there's so much snake oil in the lighting business when you get down to like, you're... I. Here's why I like you, and here's why you're the right man for the job. Okay, you you you're not a specialist. You have you don't have a career in academia. You know you you've nope. been in academia, you've been in the business world, you've been in the research world, and you're teaching and you're learning and like you have a wide sort of a, a um, approach to it. So you can dream, but here's here's the question that I don't think we can answer. The two most I'll important- answer it for you. Okay. Try it. (laughs) The two most important, the two most important endeavors that the human species is on right now. Okay. Is discovering how light works and what it is and how it affects us and creating clean energy. Or they might be the same thing.
2: Yeah. Well, I cannot answer it, of course, and I should be a little bit more humble. But, ah, but you, you, you are getting—you are getting, um, you're really—you are really hitting the point because it is—it um, would be hard to to get to that. I think we are we are interlinked with light in a way that it's, that is very hard to understand, and we need to go outside the normal scientific. As you've been scratching the edges here today in our talk, we are some we are somewhere outside, and we need to be a little bit more holistic. And what I have discovered over the last, let's say, 10, eight to 10 years is that we have this multi approach, which is so beautiful. When I left university as an electrical engineer, one of the curriculums was hate architects. I just mm. had to do that. That was part of it <laughs> tick that box. Yeah, I hate architects, and they hate me. So when I started taking extra lessons at the, um, at the School of Architecture, people said, Who are you? Well, I just graduated as an electrical engineer, but I don't understand what you're asking for, so I cannot make the fixture. I cannot make the lighting mm. installations because I don't know what you were asking for. Mm. So I needed to go there and learn their language mm. to to get it on, and it has helped me so much. Mm-hmm. Just like it helps me talking to you guys and getting new new fresh perspectives, new points where I said, "Hmm, could that be like that?" And mm. that's why I think we should all, hopefully, all in the lighting industry do some things, give it, let's test possibilities. Let's see if it works because it's not them um, in the theory. It's, it's, um, it's too difficult. I think we need to be a bit more experimental.
0: Heinrich thank. Lassen, Yes. thank you for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having you. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you. Thank you, you too. E N E R G
0: Y F. O-C-U-S dot com, Greg. That's energyfocus.com coming out hot.
1: With their in-focus lighting platform. We talked about it at the beginning, but I'm telling you, this thing is a real deal. Nasty. It's a tube. It's a type (laughs) B tube. A type B tube, like something you sell all day long for a little bit more money. Now you can make it color changeable and dimmable and line voltage. There's no additional wiring to do other than to bypass the ballast, put the tubes in, And the switch talks to the tubes, talks to the fixtures, and it makes it color tuning and damning. Personalized lighting control, what we talked about in the podcast today, can be done for not anywhere near as much as it used to have to be paid to get done. So
0: original. You got to go to energyfocus.com. Jimmy, two with the home run. That's right, James2, energyfocus.com, E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com, baby. And of course, members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting lighting Distributors. That's right. Nailed. Come on, get associated. Coming out with educational products. Yeah, baby. That's right. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it, Greg. Nailed's going to come out with a really hot educational product in the summer. So check it out at nailed.org. And, of course, Heiner Clausen. we're going to get that beer, buddy. We're going to get that beer you talked about in the show. There's nobody that likes beer more than these two guys right here. So we're going to get over there to Europe. We're going to get some nice Danish lager. Ooh, yeah. I can't even wait to get there, buddy. <laughs> so Heinrich, we'll shake hands soon. Thanks for listening, folks. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign
2: there for all. You are lost, the Lord is there to find you.